Hey, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Muse Room. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, I'm so excited to be talking to Jackie from Fount. Jackie was born with the entrepreneurial spirit embedded deep within her. Her parents owned their own business and she went to work with them every day, probably up until kindergarten. She was the one setting up the lemonade stand every summer and even had a jewelry business outside of her locker in middle school. That spirit, combined with a passion for fair trade and sustainable fashion, is now found. Jackie and her husband started Fount back in early 2014. It began as a side hustle making leather bags out of their Cleveland home and is now one of the most successful businesses here in Cleveland, employing 46 team members and counting. The company has been featured in many publications such as the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, and Travel and Leisure, just to name a few. And it's not just a purse company. Sustainability is a fundamental part of what they do. Each piece is created with the intention for it to last a lifetime instead of mass-producing, low-quality bags that end up in the landfill after less than a year. Tune into our conversation to learn more about the company's mission and purpose. Jackie shares so much, and she shares openly. We talk about fast fashion, sustainability, timing, and what it means for it to be your season for your dream. She tells us, of course, how Fount was started, what her and her husband plan for it in the future, and so much more. Let's dive in. Before we get into the episode, I just have to tell you about one thing. I'm hosting my first live podcast recording event in collaboration with another Ohio-based podcast, Finding Your Shine. You may have listened to the episode that I did with Finding Your Shine back in the fall, and if you haven't already, go ahead and go into the archive of the podcast and find that episode. I'll also link it in the show notes for you to listen to. But we decided to collaborate on an evening that is happening this Wednesday, and the theme is Discovering Your Intuitive Wisdom. We will be interviewing a panel of three women about all things intuition, facing fears, and taking empowered action. Before the panel discussion, we will take part in a meditation, and of course, I'm going to lead a mini dance party to set the energy at a high vibe. The panelists include yoga teacher and speaker Debbie Darnell, yoga teacher and founder of The Ultra Dose, Nikki Ling, and podcaster Claire Edwards. The event is this Wednesday at 6 p.m. and will take place at Harness Cycle in Hinchtown. So if you're listening to this episode the day it is released or the day after, you will have time to grab your ticket. Tickets cost $25, and when you make your purchase, we will send you a code to grab another ticket for free to give to a friend. Come join us for an evening of connection and reflection. I cannot wait to see you there. So I always start out by asking about what's been inspiring you. So is there anything that's happened recently that has just kept you fueled and moving and grooving? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a funny thing. Not a funny thing. It's 
anti-funny actually. It's something I wouldn't have guessed inspired me, but we went on vacation um, and we went to Mexico and we walk out to the beach and the beach had just a sheet of algae over it. Like for maybe like, not really good with meters, but maybe like 30 meters out. Just like you looked like you could walk on a carpet of mm. algae. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, this is so terrible. You know, I've been coming to this beach for 30 years and I've never seen this. It's such a shame. And I'm talking with the lifeguards and they're like, it's because of global warming. Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's totally because of global warming. Yeah. The ocean has warmed one degree. And because of that, it's caused the algae like out in the coral reefs to plume. And when it plumes, it sheds off a layer of the algae and then it all washes up to shore. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a realization because you hear about global warming and at home we recycle and here at the studio recycle. We try to have minimal waste. And the whole reason we started Found was because we were trying to get away from fast fashion. And my whole life, like as a teenager and in college, I just bought so much stuff. Like if it was $5 on sale at Target, I bought it. Mm Because I was like, I don't care if it was my size or a color I liked or whatever. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's $5, I need it. Mm -hmm. And I was so, like almost hoarded clothes, right? Um, And then I started learning about quality over quantity and wanting things to last. And so um, when we started Fount, the whole goal was, the word Fount means an abundant source of desirable quality. And we wanted to design quality bags that were made to last so they weren't ending up in landfills. They would last a lifetime. So we set out to design indestructible products, right? Mm -hmm. And then I've just been like thinking about what's the next step of that because with sustainability, you can always get better, right? right? We're always like looking at like, how do we get better? How do we make something that's like, you know, leather in and of itself, you know, is a byproduct of the meat industry. Um, But we get people popping in for the last five years asking for vegan bags and we've considered doing it, but vegan, almost every vegan bag is made out of plastic, which is PVC that when it breaks down, it breaks down in less than a year, like as far as like breaks quality wise, then it ends up in a landfill and it leaks harsh chemicals into the ground. Mm So we knew we didn't want to do that. But when I was in Mexico and I saw the plumes, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I I personally am celebrating six years of fast fashion free. So everything, Mm. yeah, I'm excited. So you don't go to H&M and any of that? No, no, I've only bought for six years for the most part. Um, Up until this year, I had to buy my underwear new. Yeah. Um, But now Everlane has ethical underwear. Yeah. Yeah, which is exciting. You have, before that, I was like, where can I get ethical underwear? You Mm -hmm. know, now Everlane has ethical underwear. But um, yeah, like it's either secondhand, made in the USA, or fair trade. Mm -hmm. Um, And like even with my kids, I get all their clothes at a secondhand kids store called Revolve. So Mm -hmm. I sell all my old clothes to Avalon, buy them there, or the thrift store, or through like um, ethical companies. But Mm -hmm. with that said, like, all the ethical companies are, you know, looking for ways to be even better, you know, and like saying like, okay, we haven't arrived. No one's perfect. We're all just doing our part to get better and better. And when I saw that algae, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a real, real, real problem that's happening really fast. And mm-hmm. people want to close their eyes to it. And they want to say like, no, it's not happening. And even when it's right in front of our face and we're seeing, 30 meters of algae on the shore, we're saying, oh, I'm just gonna choose a different beach. I'm just gonna go somewhere else, was their attitude. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying like, oh no, look what we've done. You know, look what we're doing with global warming. Like, so it was this moment where I was like, I just felt in my spirit, like 
Jackie, you're supposed to do something. Right. Like, what is your part in this? Yeah. Like, to educate people and to educate yourself on what can the next step be with found? What can the next step be with, like, using your voice to say, like, hey, like, we can stop this because there's all these things that are predicting that, like, maybe the world is going to end in 50 years, you know? If we don't figure it out, like, mm-hmm. half the world's going to be underwater and people yeah. aren't going to have anywhere to go. Yeah. So, anyways, I was just thinking, like, and they say fashion is a big part right. of the problem, so, our overconsumption. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you have... Were your ideas rolling for new yeah. things that you can do? Yeah, and they're rolling right now, and none of it's released. But, like, we just mm-hmm. had a town hall at our um, team meeting yesterday to discuss some things. Like, we're looking into things like pineapple leather, mm-hmm. mushroom leather, cool. um, different things like that. We're working with a fabric developer to see if he can do anything with hemp and do some kind of cool, like, corn coating over it. Um, you know how they have those cor- the corn silverware? Like, at, like, a lot of places now, instead of having plastic oh, silverware, right. mm-hmm. they'll have, like, it made out of cornstarch yeah. so it will biodegrade. But the problem with that is, like, even if you have that um, cornstarch silverware, it still, if it doesn't have oxygen in the trash bag, just like yeah. composting. Like, yeah. if you put your vegetables in the trash bag and then it goes to the landfill and it doesn't have oxygen, then it can't decompose. Right. Yeah, I've, I see that all the time. There's a restaurant that I used to work at that had biodegradable products, but they were just throwing them in the trash can. Yeah. And I'm like, that's completely not helping. Right. But no one knows that. Right. So it's all about education yeah. and us figuring out like, oh, because I didn't know that actually until a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Yeah. I was always like, oh, you know, like I don't have a garden to compost in, so why would I compost? It's not just the composting it's so that it doesn't end up in a landfill right because vegetables in a trash bag are just as bad as you know everything else in a mm-hmm. trash bag so it is all about education right and yeah. so we're looking into seeing if there's different options beyond leather to you know like we'll, we'll always have our leather line because leather it's a byproduct of the meat industry right so it's in and of itself like it's something that would have gone to waste and we're using it then to make a product. Um, But, you know, the problems with global warming with the meat industry. So we're hoping ultimately people in America and all over the world start eating less cow meat, Mm -hmm. right, to help with global warming. Um, But our bags too, like because they're made of leather, can literally last 50 or 100 years. You know, like we've done a test with our tote um, to the strength of it because we sew it in such a way and use a thick leather and like have a um, it's called a saddle stitch where we go back and forth through mm-hmm. three layers that we've hung it on a hook for right. three weeks full of cinder blocks mm-hmm. and you cannot break the strap. That's so amazing. in five years, we've never had a single strap break. So that's like part of our message and our, our thing to like say like have less stuff but have stuff that you love mm-hmm. and is there for you so you don't have to have 10 bags that you don't really like and then they break and then you throw them to Goodwill but no one could buy them at Goodwill because they're already broken right. and then they go to a landfill. So our message is, you know, buy, invest in something that was made with love and care and detail and it's going to be there for you. So we're looking into, you know, like finding other materials that have that same strength. Like so hemp is, they say it's as strong as metal. So, which wow. is really amazing. However, it's got a very like granola vibe, mm-hmm. you know, like when you see hemp, it's scratchy, it wrinkles, it feels really kind of, it's got like a very casual vibe, mm-hmm. right? So we're looking to see like, is there a way that we can elevate hemp and like do work with a fabric developer to um, make it look a little fancier? Yeah. So different things like that. That's exciting. Yeah. 
What about at home outside of fashion? How do you make sustainability a part of your life? It's a good question. So we are always just trying to like minimize our packaging when we're shopping, trying to like shop more in bulk so we don't have as much packaging, mm-hmm. which has been really great. Um, and then like shopping like for our clothing, we get it all secondhand whenever we can. Um, and like for example, my dog wears diapers <laughs> and they are um, washable. Cool. So you can buy like disposable ones, but these like I have to, he wears four of them a day and he has, he's going to wear them until he's gone, you know, so then I just wash a load once a week, you know, and keep mm-hmm. a bucket on the back porch and, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, and stuff like, like instead of having water bottles, we have all like metal bottles and things like in here at Fount. Um, instead of using plastic silverware or Keurigs and things, we have like a coffee pot and have like mugs that we all wash mm-hmm. and reuse. And when we have our happy hour parties once a month, we use all like, we went to the thrift store and got all like sets of dishes so that we can, you know, not have so much waste. Right, right, right. Yeah, so we would love to ultimately be a zero waste company. That would be amazing. Yeah, and we're, we're close. We really don't have much waste, mm-hmm. but it's um, hard, you know, we're, we're trying to get there. So yeah. A company that we really admire, Nisolo, Solo, they're just very transparent about um, that they're not perfect yet, but they're trying to learn from other companies that are trying to be sustainable to learn ways that like, oh, that's a cool idea you guys are doing. We should do that too. Mm-hmm. And if we partner with all these other businesses that are trying to be sustainable, then it's not like them against us. It's like we're all in it together to save the world, right? right? Like literally save yeah. the world, which and is I, really cool. Yeah, and I think... A lot of times when you come from a mindset of, like when you're first starting out with sustainability and you're first kind of thinking about those ideas, it can be overwhelming almost yeah. to a point where you don't do anything about oh, it. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so I think everything, any little thing that you can do can make yeah. a difference. And that's what they say is they say if like, if one person did everything, right? If you go and you do everything, you're you know, you're zero waste. You have like absolute, like you're just living the perfect sustainable life, mm-hmm. which I don't think exists yet, right? Because we're always, always evolving to figure right. out like, oh, I didn't realize this thing I was doing was harmful right. to the environment. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly learning new things. If one person was obsessed with it and they focused all their energy on it, that wouldn't make as big of an impact as if everyone was doing something, Yeah. right? Like if slowly we start all switching our smart cars to smart cars, um, and like energy efficient cars and things like that. Like if car pulling more and like just less stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So sustainability has been a big part of found since the beginning, right? Yeah. It actually, like at the beginning it wasn't, it, I mean, it was a part, mm-hmm. but I didn't know why. Okay. And I mm-hmm. think that it's becoming a bigger part because the same sustainability in the last five years has just become like, yeah. whoa, this is a thing we really need to we should be talking Absolutely. about and just be honest with each other and ourselves that like, whoa, we, sh- we all need to do something right? because <laughs> it's pretty scary. Um, but then I think, yeah, it's, it's becoming a bigger part of family. And at our church, our pastor always talks about like, what, like, what's your why? Mm-hmm. Like everyone in there, like in your podcast, what's mm-hmm. your why? And you know, someone's business, like even if, if they're a lawyer, what's your why? You know, what good can you do through what you're doing? In every single thing we do, we can all have a big why. So like inadvertently in purses, you know, we make bags, right? Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't think our why could be this big why, but then when you think like, whoa, we could be sustainable and we could give somebody a product that's gonna last a lifetime so they don't have to have so much stuff. So like you can do good through anything, right? Yeah. Which is really cool when you start to think about 
every single career that way we can mm. all like do good through that and like have a bigger why than we initially say like oh we make purses right you know like mm-hmm. I want our why to be way bigger than that yeah, yeah totally I love that so I'd love to go back to the beginning yeah before we get too much into found um, okay so where are you from I'm from Akron-ish I grew up in Twinsburg mm-hmm. and then Hudson and then um moved away for college and then I just always would hear my great-grandma talk about um, Cleveland and my grandma talk about Cleveland. My grandparents met at Shaker Square, Mm -hmm. and then they all moved down to Twinsburg. Um, But I would kind of hear this legend of Cleveland in its heyday, you Mm -hmm. know, that they just loved the city. And so I always had this kind of nostalgic picture of it in my head and wanted to move back and be part of Cleveland, whatever that looked like. And so um, I didn't really grow up coming to Cleveland too much. Like we grew up going to Tower City, you know, Mm -hmm. when it was like such an amazing shopping mall and stuff. But other than that, we didn't really spend a lot of time in Cleveland going to the Indians games and things like that. But it's just so exciting to see how Cleveland has blossomed in the last five years. Right. And to get to be a small part of that is really cool. Yeah, because you are a part of it. And I'm all thanks. I want to get back to maybe your childhood, but how do you think that Fount takes a part in like the renaissance of Cleveland? Oh, wow. Um, That's an honor because I just, I love this city so much and it's just so cool to see it like blossoming right now Mm -hmm. because there's so many small business startups like getting so much fuel and energy behind them from the people who love this city. Mm -hmm. So I think people in Cleveland and even in the out in the suburbs and around or people who are from Cleveland and they moved away they're so proud and happy to see their city doing well so they're so supportive of things like Fount or things like local coffee shops or you know um, t-shirt companies or everything like they're so eager to like drive you know half an hour to come get a Cleveland bagel you know it's super cool to see how excited people Mm -hmm. are to support things that are um, here in Cleveland to help us all thrive so I think like found, um, you know, really just through the Cleveland fleet, really, uh, we were like, is there a place for us here? I don't know. Like, are people interested in these bags? And then people were like, yes, we are interested in these bags. And we're like, okay, yay, we'll keep making them, you know? Um, so it just is beyond my comprehension that it's come to this place that we're at now and have such a strong team. And then it just really just blows my mind how supportive Cleveland was because I always kind of thought of Cleveland as a small, big city, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, you, you wonder like, how many bags could I really sell to Cleveland? You know, I don't know. Right. Um, but it's unbelievable the opportunities that are here. Like our rent in our first studio for I don't remember the square footage. Like I think it was like five thousand square feet. It was only eight hundred bucks a month. Wow! It was amazing. We could not have done that in any right, other city. Right. And then I feel blessed too because the Cleveland Flea, for example, you know, having ten thousand people come out every month that you never met before, and you could be like, "Hey, we make these bags." Like it, that doesn't happen in every city, no. for sure. And I lived in Brooklyn, New York, for a while, and even I really think our flea is so strong we traveled all over the country going to shows Mm -hmm. and our flea is just unbelievable for makers and you know food and people who are making their own things or vintage or whatever it's just so exciting to have that resource right here so you're not having to travel for it and it's been such a launch pad for our business as well as lots of our friends who have started businesses so just to be part of that and like 
being, you have to, I always say like, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be like a little crazy because <laughs> you're like just jumping off a cliff every day. You're like, yeah. okay, I'll just see if this works. Woo! And then if it works, it works. And then if it doesn't, you just go back to the drawing board and figure out why it didn't work. And then, you know, like I use this analogy a lot that, you know, people think sometimes, because you have to, have, you have to be positive in business, right? You can't always let people know. Like, mm-hmm. People ask you how it's going. They don't want to hear well, you want to hear about the bad thing that happened yesterday? Like, they don't want your Eeyore story, right? Mm-hmm. They want you to, like, encourage them and uplift them. And, yes, those things are happening, so they want you to be real. But at the same time, like, when you hit a roadblock, like, so you're driving and you're in traffic, if you come to a detour, are you just going to pull over and, like, stomp your feet and get mad and hit your steering wheel about the detour? No, you're just going to go around it and keep going to your destination. So the same thing happens every day at Found. Like I'll have a destination we're trying to go to, right? We have this like, I'll have my daily to-do list and I think this is gonna happen and this is my ideal route to get there and a lot of times it doesn't happen. So you're just like, oh, pivot, you know, try a new route and then still try to get at your destination. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to completely change your destination. You thought you were going somewhere and you're like, wait a minute, this is not feeling right and you reroute and you know, choose a different path. Right. So, I don't know, it's, that was a very roundabout answer <laughs> to say that it just, it's not always easy. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, we want to be real and we want to be honest and, you know, share that, you know, we all have failures. But I think when we focus too much on the hard stuff, you get exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like, when you, you get more of what you, like, what you focus on. And that's like our pastor says that too. He always says like, you know, like what you focus on, you're going to get more of, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've been reading these books. I believe that. Oh, it's totally Mm -hmm. true. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and they say the same thing with raising kids. Like if you like focus on the fact that the kid's not eating his food and you're like, eat your food, eat your food, like focusing on that instead of like turning it and turning into a game and making it fun for them and putting a fun twist then you're going to keep getting more, like, aversion to eating food. So true. You know, it's like... so many different ways that you have to, like, approach a problem. Like, you can't just keep, like, approaching it. Like, okay, you need to eat your food. Yeah. Like, that, if you keep doing that, it's just... And you realize that it's not working. Oh, totally. You have to find another way. Right. You're like, this isn't working. Let me just keep trying what's not working over and over again. It's like, what do they call that? They say that um, the definition of insanity is... Doing the same thing over and over. Hmm. I don't know. I'm yeah. really botching that. But do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. And it's like if something's not working, you just gotta reroute. You mm-hmm. just have to say like, okay, let me focus on what I want to happen versus on what I don't want to happen, right? right? And put your energy towards that. So that's what we try to do a lot. Yeah, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So the skill of adapting and just jumping into the deep waters is that something that you've always had in you, or is that something you had to learn? Yeah, maybe to a fault. <laughs> like my whole life, I've just been a jump in girl. And like, I had this idea, jump in. I had this idea, jump in. But I'm also very quick to jump out. Mm-hmm. Like when things aren't working, I would say like my downfall is that I really quickly give up. Mm-hmm. Like my whole life, I was like, I love, I was like a diver and then a gymnast and then a trampoline. And I would do these things all for like one or two years, right? Mm-hmm. And like, like initially be like, I'm so into this. And then as soon as I was like, meh isn't my thing and then just quit right and like with my whole life I've just been quick to jump into things and then quick to jump out and with found I've just decided like I have to stick I have to stick with this thing and and Philip honestly my husband he has been so good for that because he's the opposite he's not quick to jump into things like he's like really like 
wants to think about it and process mm-hmm. it and plan and really like get a plan, which can be frustrating for me because I'm not yeah. like that. So, but I think it really balances us right. out. Right, because if you were both the jumpers, then yeah. it might like get kind of messy. And if you were both totally. the planners, then yes, nothing might ever happen. Right, you get too scared because yeah. honestly, sometimes like you can over plan and think too much about everything that could happen, both good and bad, and then you, you kind of get paralyzed by mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think it's been a good balance. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think you have to have, if, if, I think if people are doing something, if you can have a teammate you can do it with, it helps so much. Mm-hmm. Because I honestly think if Philip and I weren't doing this together, and as well as like so many of our team members that are here, we would have all jumped ship, right. you know, and like stopped a million times when we hit those detours. Because there's some big things that happen where we lost tons of money and like different things where we're like, you know, thought something was a good idea and it turned out not to be a good idea. And you could, we could have quit a million times. Like the first February we were in business, we went from like selling hundreds of bags because we got this great magazine pitch and then we had nine people on our team and we're rocking and rolling and having so much fun and it was exciting. And then that next February, like after that magazine pitch kind of wore off, it we had one bag sale, mm. one, mm-hmm. and that would have been a great time to be like, oh well, it was a good run, everybody. Yeah. So what made you not stop? Well, because our we were like, well, we have all these people on payroll, and we don't want to lay them off, right. and we love them, and they've become like family to us. So we had to think of a way to do something. And we're like, well, we sold so many bags at the Cleveland Flea last year. Let's see if there are more, you know more places like the Cleveland Flea to sell our bags. So we started looking up shows all across the country and we didn't have kids yet. Um, so we started going to like Atlanta, Chicago, DC, Columbus, Cincinnati, you know, all over the United States selling our bags in a different city every weekend pretty much. And yeah. um, it really helped us get our name out. Like it, within two years we'd sold to all 50 states, which was really cool. Wow. But it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. But we had so much energy because we're so excited and pumped up about it. Mm-hmm. And just, really wanted it to work but I will tell you what I look back on that because now we're just doing about like maybe 10 shows a year and the shows are exhausting you have to like schlep all your stuff pack it up set it up and then you know sell all day and put on that persona like excitement to talk to thousands of people and don't get exhausted because like for every every yes you hear to someone who wants to take a bag you probably heard like 45 no's yeah you know, like, and you're like, but you're still like putting it out there, like with all the sincerity in your heart to tell people about the bags. But you just have to know that people, not every person is going to be ready to invest, but you can't get hurt by the no's, but just know that like the ratio of yeses to no's is like, <laughs> you know, it, it's small, mm-hmm. um, but it's exhausting. The shows are exhausting. So when we think back on it, we're like, wow, how did we have that much like endurance to get through that season? And I think that's a big thing. You just got to really, like, channel that energy and Mm -hmm. pray through it. It's like, just, you know, I think at the beginning of starting anything, you have all this energy. But I also like to be honest with people. Like, I had a friend just yesterday saying, like, oh, it's so cool that you started this. I would love to start something. But, like, she's at a time in her life where she has a newborn and a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And her husband just started a business two years ago. Oh, wow. And so her plate is full mm-hmm. like maxed out full so I was just honest and said like you know like that's so cool that you want to start something but in my personal experience right now because we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old like you feel maxed out mm-hmm. and I think before we had our kids 
there was so much of us to invest. Like we would work 16 hour days and love it, Mm -hmm. right? But now that we have our kids, we just can't do that because I don't want to miss them growing up. And they need us. I'm like, so I have to be home and there for them. And then when I'm at work, be 100% here. And when I'm at home, be 100% there. So I think a big thing to like, to know is like, what is your timing? Mm. Like, is this your season to do your dream? Because if it's not your season to do your dream, your season will come later. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, this was a dream deferred for me. Like, so when I was 22, I graduated from college and I went to Liberia for six months in Africa. And I helped work um, with women who were former prostitutes to help them learn a trade. Mm-hmm. So it was through um, Samaritan's Purse. It was um, Mercy Ships was who we were with, but then Samaritan's Purse partnered us with different organizations. And so anyway, we I just saw the need directly, like how few jobs are there, right? Mm-hmm. So these women were learning to sew. They could become a seamstress or a cosmetologist or tie-dye or um, learn to cook and have like a, like almost like a food stand at the market. Um, but I was like, wow, there's just really not, like, they could learn to sew, but there's not a lot of people to sell their things to. Right. So, you know, fair trade fashion and all this became a passion of mine when I was there. And I then, in Africa, amongst, like, the poorest of the poor, I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to fashion design school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, am I crazy? I'm thinking about that, like, while well, there's no running water or electricity, but I just saw a need that there were people who were learning how to sew but didn't necessarily have a community right. that could afford to buy their things. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, okay. So I as soon as I left Africa six months later, um, I enrolled in fashion design school. Didn't you write, fill out the application on the ship or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I that? went back to the ship because in the interior where we were living, there was no electricity. So I went back to the ship because we got to go for one week at Christmas, like back onto the ship and they had electricity on the ship. And I filled out my application and then I sent it off to LA and I was going to move to LA. Then my dad got cancer, so I decided to stay in Cleveland and heard about Virginia Marty. And so I went there um, and it was amazing. But I, it was crazy because I had this dream in my heart to start found. Or not found. I did not yeah. obviously thought of found, but st- start some kind of fair trade, like maybe like I didn't know if it was going to be made in the USA and like fair trade, also components or what it was because my parents had a business that was in the mm-hmm. USA, um, and they had to move parts of it out of the USA because everything was moving to like Mexico and China, right. and so I just had this kind of passion for made in the USA. And then when I went to Africa, I was like, oh whoa, I have this passion for fair trade too. And so it was like started this kind of dream in my heart. And, I, and you know when something starts stirring and you don't even actually know what it is, mm-hmm. you just know you care. Yeah. You're like, well, I care about this thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a stirring for, you know, I don't even know. Like I was 22 and then we didn't start found until I was 30. Right. You know, so for eight years, this kind of thing was like kind of stirring in mm-hmm. me. You know, and so sometimes yeah. people think of an idea and they feel like they have to do it right away. Yeah, I like that. I like, it's it's nice to know that yeah. that's how it worked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because I, I think like timing is really everything. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So fashion. How did you get into fashion? Have you always, because you have such great style. Have Aww, you thanks. always <laughs> been like that when you were a kid? Was that something that um, you were always spending time on? Yeah. It's so funny. When I was little, like three. I, my mom has these pictures of me in the craziest outfits. She would always say, like, from the time I was three, 
I would pick, like she couldn't pick out my outfits. I'd pick them out and I'd wear the craziest things. I'd wear like lace tights with like ruffly jeans mm. and like four ponytails coming off my head. And I'd like layer my socks in different weird ways. And like at school, it was so funny. Like everyone's always like, what is she wearing? <laughs> but like I was always just like doing my own thing. And my mom always said I was just setting trends since the time I was like a little, little girl. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. Like from the time I was, I can always remember my favorite thing to do and still is to wake up in the morning and get dressed Mm -hmm. I love getting dressed and like I'm always like what I just you know like it's like a it's like creating something new every day right like out of like so I do a ton of thrifting and I find like a lot of weird vintage pieces and just put them together Mm -hmm. and it's just fun it's like a way to create every day that's not that serious yeah you know your body's kind of like your palate True. And you can do whatever you want yeah. with it, and it's so fun. I love that. So, how has your style evolved over the years? Oh, it's always evolving. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I look back at pictures of me in college, and I'm like, why did anyone let me leave the house like that? <laughs> <laughs> like in college, my roommates called me one step because I would always like I'd come out like in an outfit we're going out, and I'd be like, what do you think? And they'd be like, well, take off five of those pieces because I just had on so <laughs> many accessories. Yeah. And so they're always like, just like one step too far. Like I, so I think that as I've gotten older, I've learned how to like minimize, like you don't have to wear everything together at the same time. <laughs> Although that is fun sometimes. Um, yeah, so I think that's always evolving. Mm-hmm. And I, it's cool to watch like your friend's style evolve too. And I think one thing I love here at Fount so much, we have so many creative people working mm-hmm. here that like we are just always just having so much fun like being inspired by each other's personal style and personal mm-hmm. art, which like some of the most stylish people I've ever met in my life work here. Really? And they, it's just so fun to see how everybody puts stuff together and how that is so... Um, I don't know just inspiring Mm -hmm. like we have people that just like just range from like street style to like pastel goth to like (laughs) totally funky and then we've got minimalists and like it's just so fun to work with people who are so um just have fun with it Mm -hmm. and so many people here are all about you know secondhand and sustainability and that's just become part of our company culture which is exciting and something I wouldn't have thought of when we first started but it's just really cool that that's really part of who we are mm-hmm. yeah yeah as so, a team like we have like clothing totally. swaps mm-hmm. in-house Ooh, yeah oh I still haven't been to one I mean oh they're so fun so we started opening them to the public right. but like it started um, where we would have it just with our team members yeah. and mm-hmm. we all like quarterly bring you know clothes baskets of our own stuff like old stuff that you're over and we just trade within mm-hmm. our own team and all of us always say like whoa all my favorite stuff have come from clothing swaps you know yeah. I got these shorts there I love time. those shorts oh thanks they're you know shorts. they're just chill but they were yeah, somebody and they were over them mm-hmm. and you know and it's so fun because I you know a lot of people here are younger than me so I give up things and I'm like okay I'm, that's not my current season so yeah. I give it up and I'll see it on these cute girls and they're like oh my god <laughs> you know, but it's mm-hmm. fun to like see someone give new life to something that you used to love. Yeah, I wonder if clothing swaps will become just will replace going out and oh, buying new clothes. How cool would that be? Yeah, that would be really cool. I mean, that's it's really amazing how that. So, do you shop at Avalon? I've never been there actually. Oh, it's do. like basically clothing swapping, like okay. at a store. So mm-hmm. you take a stuff basket of your old stuff. Oh, I'm gonna give everybody here a pro tip. Mm-hmm. my pro tip mm-hmm. when you go to sell your old stuff get your best outfit on mm-hmm. do your hair and makeup okay look like you've got it like you know like you've got your fashion nailed down 
and then organize all your stuff because like if you take it all like unfolded and messy in the basket it's not that exciting for somebody to look through get all organized put your best stuff on top and take your basket in and then they'll they'll buy your old stuff and you can get more money if you exchange it for new stuff than if you take the cash mm. so you can take the cash and i think you get like 40 percent, 30 percent. but if you take the store credit i think you get at least 50 percent. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Good to know. It's amazing. That's how I do most of my shopping. I just take things that I'm like, oh, I'm not that into this anymore, or my body's changed so much since I've had kids. And, mm-hmm. and like, I'll take my old stuff and sell it and get new stuff. So it's right. like you're not adding to the cycle of new things that are out there in the world. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough about building mm-hmm. swapping. It's mm-hmm. the best. I love it. It's so fun. Yeah. So you were always into fashion as a kid. Mm-hmm. You were always creative as mm-hmm. a kid. And I heard I can't remember if it was on a podcast or somewhere that you started a jewelry business oh, outside yeah. of your life. I started a lot of businesses <laughs> like since I was little I was like working that lemonade stand mm-hmm. you know my right. sister and I would get out there every day in the summer we'd just be rocking that lemonade stand you could get a lemonade and we would do like a coordinated dance <laughs> so like us and our neighbor friend Lindsay we'd do gymnastics tricks and we bought a lemonade we'd like do a dance routine mm-hmm. it was ridiculous but yeah that was like we would always do that and then I had in middle school, legit business out of my locker. I was in seventh grade, and I started, um, my friend's mom, I was over at her house, and she was like a retired hippie. <laughs> she was like, let me teach you girls how to make hemp necklaces. And I was like, sweet. So she had hemp, and she's teaching us how to like weave it. It's called macrame. Mm-hmm. And she taught us how to make necklaces. I got so into it. My mom took me to Joanne Fabrics. I got like a tackle box for my dad, like a fishing box, and got all these beads. Started making my own beads out of clay got super into it um, and I created an order form and like so my school was seventh grade through 12th grade mm-hmm. and at my lunch I would skip lunch I'd eat as fast as I could go wait at my locker and have kids come take orders and so I'd like or kids come and place their yeah. orders so I'd have my order form and then I would lay out beads for them and like okay what's your favorite colors and like lay out the beads and show them what it would look like place their order and then the next I go home at night and like make their necklace and they could come back the next day <laughs> and so I would have like everyone seventh grade through 12 like my whole lunch I would just stand out there and take orders and then make them that night and sell them and then I got shut down like after a couple months the principal was like you can't sell stuff out of your locker not cool man <laughs> I know I was a thriving business it right did, it was so fun and I loved it so it and it's really funny because Philip was doing the same thing out mm-hmm. of his locker, but with Beanie Babies. Mm-hmm. And he would hand sew his own, and he actually has a sample I'll show you when you leave. His neighbor um, growing up, the mom, had bought one because she was so excited <laughs> about it. And she has one of these. He would design his own little, like, Beanie Babies, and he made little tags and names, mm-hmm. and he would sell them out of his locker. That's hilarious. And totally got into the same kind of trouble. Like, you can't sell stuff out of your locker. That's perfect. <laughs> Meant to be. So, yeah, totally meant to be. Um, so, so your parents, you said they were also entrepreneurs. Yeah. Do you think that's what influenced you to want to have your own business? Probably. I don't know. Honestly, I really, as a kid, didn't really think about it. But I guess I just always just grew up with, like, watching their hustle. Like, they hustle. What was their business? They made wire harnesses. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like a, they, it's like a plastic harness and then you take these wire bundles and assemble them in different ways and they're essentially inside of almost everything that's mechanical um, like coffee makers cars like if you open up the hood of your car you'll see these 
bundles of wire that are connected together, tractors, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So my dad did this in high school. He There was a factory next to his house in Twinsburg, and he worked at the factory all throughout high school. And then right out of high school, they asked him to be a manager there. And so it's just what he did right out yeah. of high school. So then the business that he was working for um, went out of business. And so he got laid off. And I guess I was two years old and my sister was four. And my mom tells this story about how they were laying in bed and my dad was always like up at five or six in the morning, like early riser. And she was like, it was later. And she's like, are you going to work today? And he's like, no. And she's like, and that was so not like my dad. Mm -hmm. My dad's like, you know, not like that. Right. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, she's like, are you going to work tomorrow? And he's like, no. <laughs> and she's like, that he told her that he got laid off. So they decided to, you know, buy some of the old machines from his boss and try to, you know, make wire bundles in their garage. Mm -hmm. And so they started like making wire bundles in their garage and he started try trying to pick up some clients from the business that had gone out of business. And so anyways, they got this big client and he was so pumped about it. And the guy says, great, Doug, your numbers look great. Like your pricing is awesome. Your time frame looks great. Just, I want to come out and visit your factory before we sign. Mm -hmm. And my dad's like, our factory? We are like, we do this in our garage, right. like in our... <laughs> and so um, he really quick rented a, you know, um, one of those kind of garages that like roll up, mm -hmm. like in like an industrial area yeah. where it's just garage after garage after garage. Uh -huh. So we rented one of those and he had 10 to 12 family members and friends pretend to be employees. Oh we went to an auction and he bought like... Um, like all these machines at discount and like took a total leap of faith and said, okay, I'm going to spend money to sign this lease on this garage, buy all these machines just to see if I can get this account. Cause it would like, it would be like their launching point. Right. So all his like friends and family, my grandma, everybody came and pretended to be employees. And uh, the guy comes, does the tour of the quote unquote factory. And he's like, wow, this all looks great. Great. And then they signed the, the contract my dad took him out to lunch and everybody like went home. <laughs> my dad always jokes around. He's like, thank God he didn't forget his pen or his briefcase because nobody would have been there. Yeah. So and that was like a cool story for me to hear growing right. up that like he, you know, like in business, you just have to take risks Yeah. because if you don't take risks, you're not going to, you, you can't keep growing. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's always going to be risks and all, obviously they should be calculated risks. Right. right? Um, and so that was always an inspiring story for me. That is really inspiring. Yeah, fake it till you make it. Right. That's so funny that he had family members pretend to oh, be employees. Totally. And that oh same gosh. thing, like when we, when the Cleveland Plain dealer reached out when we were like three months in, they reached out and they were like, you know, can we come take pictures of your studio? And it was, we're in a small room for, you guys can't see it, but mm -hmm. we're in this room and it was like maybe like 20 by 10. Mm -hmm. And before that, we were just in our apartment. Yeah. She asked if she can come take some pictures. And I was like, just to warn you, it's like just Philip and I in one little dinky room with one sewing machine. She's like, that's okay. We'll be able to fake it and make it look bigger. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so she's like, we're staging it to make it look like this really big thing. And she's taking pictures from different angles. And like, this is Allison Carey, the plain deer dealer. And she like really took a leap of faith on us. And so she comes and stages it to make it look bigger than it is. And Philip and I would always do that for our photo shoots. We'd go out in different rooms mm -hmm. and pretend that it was like bigger. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you really just have to fake it till you make it. Yeah. And wear all the hats until you can afford to pay somebody to wear one of those hats for you, you know? 
Do you think so. you were subconsciously like learning a lot about business just at growing up with business owners that you ended up using now in your business? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Because I went to work almost every day with them until I was in kindergarten. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would just play in my dad's office. You know, when the phone rang, he's like, shh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we were like quiet. We would copy our faces on the copy machine and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, for sure. And my parents just have that entrepreneurial spirit. Like in, in everything they do, they just you know, try to do it with excellence, which is something that was really cool watching them do as a kid. But I think that it, I don't, yeah, I guess it was subconsciously, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't ever think about it. And which is weird because I didn't go to college for business. Right. But I think hindsight, like, I'm like, why didn't I do that? That would yeah. be great. That would have been very useful well, I right feel now. Like <laughs> so many businesses didn't go to college for business. Yes. Yeah, right. It's because they're going off of a passion that they have and then yeah. just end up there and I've actually heard sometimes when you do go to college for business you learn about all the risk Mm -hmm. and then it gets scarier to jump off that cliff all the time Mm -hmm. to take that Mm -hmm. leap because Mm -hmm. you know that a lot of small businesses actually fail Mm -hmm. you know so it's scarier to take that risk I guess right Mm -hmm. okay so you were you were going to go to fashion school and then you were going to go to LA and then you ended up staying home so what was the trajectory from that point until you decided to start your own business. Yeah. So, um, so my, like I said before, my dad got cancer and so I stayed here, which it was amazing. He is totally recovered and has never had to come back. So that's amazing and such a miracle. So we're excited obviously about that, which, and I'm so happy that I stayed because it was such a special time for our family. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went to fashion school and I actually didn't end up finishing my degree, which I love to tell as mm-hmm. my story because some people get so discouraged if they've quit their dream at some point. Right. It's not that you quit your dream, it's just you took a break. Right. And you don't you wait for that right to timing. take a different route. Yeah, for me mm-hmm. it wasn't the right timing. And I was nervous, like in fashion school, a lot of time you hear and you learn that you have to move to LA or New York, mm-hmm. you know, and you hear that that's where you have to go. But for our story, we, um, you know, are doing it here in Cleveland, mm-hmm. which is rare, right? And now Columbus is a hub too for fashion. But it's like, you know, we would love it to have artists be able to stay in Cleveland as fashion designers yeah. and people in the, you know, fashion world that want to stay close to their family and friends, you know, because Cleveland is such an amazing city. It's just like the perfect size, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. It's just like the perfect big small city where yeah. you go to an event, you're going to bump into somebody you know because mm-hmm. it's like, it's it's just, I, I love this city. It's fun. But mm-hmm. yeah, so um, that, I took a break. I became a school teacher for five years and I taught kindergarten. What made you want to do that? Um, I just always loved kids. And actually my dad was like, I just really got burned out in fashion school. I was a nanny and at the same time trying to do like, you know, 18 hours and then in fashion school you're sewing multiple dresses or pants or shirts or whatever a week, um, like designing them and making them and then doing full scale, half scale, and then, you know, up to 40 sketches of like full renderings, which, you know, that takes so much time. So the workload was crazy on top of working, you know, as a nanny. Um, so it just, I really burned myself mm-hmm. out and just couldn't do it all at once. So then my dad was like, you know, you love kids. Like, why, what if you got your master's in teaching? So I went back and did a one-year master's degree and got my education mm-hmm. degree. And, um, and it, 
I've loved that season of my life. And if that hadn't happened, I would always wonder, like, should I be a teacher? Because I love kids and I do yeah. love teaching. Um, but it was, and I, I honestly loved so many things about being a teacher because you can be so creative in right. that job too. Mm-hmm. Um, I always worked at independent schools. I didn't work in public. I worked at private because you can create your own curriculum, True. which was so important to me. Um, but it was a great season of life. And I think if I hadn't had that chapter, I'd always wonder if like, I would rather be doing that, mm-hmm. you know, but I really love both. And, um, now I get to teach my own kids, you know? Um, but so uh, yeah, I was a teacher for five years and then, um, I met Philip and we started dating and just for fun, we started making like we would like normal couples like you know like go on dates and stuff we'd be like hey do you want to get stuff in Vegas <laughs> we're like such nerds so, like for like our first Christmas that we were dating like a couple months into dating we decided to make all homemade gifts mm-hmm. so he made me this really cool wooden cutting board which we actually made all our first bags on because you had to hand hammer mm-hmm. all the holes I'll show it to you after this yeah. um, I have it in the office and then and he made me these wool mittens and I made him this laptop case and a pencil case and got him a sketch pad and stuff because he was working on furniture design with some of his friends. Um, and so we made all homemade gifts. And when I gave him his, he said, like, wouldn't this be so cool out of leather? And I was like, yeah, but I've never sewed leather. Like, where do you even buy leather? So we looked it up and we Googled around and found a little cobbler in Lakewood that had mm-hmm. scraps of leather. And this older couple, like, taught us a couple things about hand hammering leather. And we, like, were kids in a candy store. We thought it was the greatest thing. So then we'd go to this biker shop on Saturday mornings to get lessons on how to like work with leather, mm-hmm. go on YouTube, and we just got super into it and started making wallets and necklaces right. and doing pretend photo shoots. And, and this was a hobby at that total point. You hobby. had no intention mm-hmm. of turning it into anything. Mm-mm. But every time Philip would come from Virginia to visit me, we would just all weekend long work on making leather stuff. <laughs> so it was so fun. We like loved it. And then our friends wanted to buy them, and we give them as gifts to friends and family and. I always think about this first necklace design I made. I actually sewed a raccoon claw on it and then glued magnets on the back because I couldn't figure out how to close it. And one of the moms of the students I was teaching, she bought a couple of them for her and her friends. And I'm always like, oh my gosh, she was so nice Mm because it was so janky. (laughs) But like, we actually had this one bag that was the very first tote we ever made and we would hang it on the wall and Nikki just recently took it back home, but it was the first tote we ever made. And when you look at it and you look at our current totes the current totes are so much nicer right but our first one it was the same idea it was the concept the design was there but we didn't know where to get amazing leather we didn't know what where to get amazing hardware we didn't know new design techniques and our sewing machines were pretty junky but you have to put your first product out there because you Mm -hmm. have to always know that your first product is not going to be your best product so if you think about a chef like you know Jenny's ice cream or Mitchell's ice cream I'm sure their first scoop of ice cream did not taste like their current ice cream right but you have to take that first step and put that first product out into Mm -hmm. the world and let people give you feedback on it and you know get it out there because your first work is not going to be your best work I think that is what maybe holds people back from starting 100% they they only see the the end product of so many businesses yeah I think that's that that's what they have to have right away yes so it's a good reminder oh it's a great reminder because Mm -hmm. even like right now we're starting to like jump into some of these new things it feels so hard Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like resistance like you're like oh you think you're going somewhere and then you bump up against resistance and like it feels really hard and then I think back like whoa this is how the very first bag I ever made felt 
as figuring it out. And we sewed 50 of them before we got to one we liked, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a good reminder to like, know, like, okay, nothing is easy when you start. You think about, like, I have a son, and watching him learn to crawl and then learn to walk is, like, a good reminder to say, like, okay, no baby comes out of the womb running. No. <laughs> be weird. Be freakish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, you have to, like, learn it and go through the steps and go through the process because that's just part of it mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. So you made that first tote, and then yeah. someone bought it? Yeah, Nikki, my best friend. Oh. She works here. She's oh. amazing. Um, she was, her mother-in-law actually, like, pushed me off a cliff. <laughs> she was like, we were making wallets and necklaces, and she's like, you should design a bag for Nikki for Christmas. And I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I've never done that. I'm scared. I don't want to. And she's like, no. I was like, plus, I don't have a sewing machine. I could sew through leather. I'll break my machine because it's just for fabric. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, find one, and I'll help you pay for it. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, so at that point, it was like her being like, you have to do this because I didn't have any excuses. I was out of excuses. So Philip and I go on Craigslist, and we find a machine down in Amish country. We drive down to the middle of nowhere and get this used machine out of this guy's garage. And um, he was... Um, he bought it, it was an old World War II machine that was used to sew parachutes. And the motor had broken on it and he replaced the motor with a lawnmower motor. So we got this thing for like 200 bucks. It was a, like honestly, it was a beast. It had no backstitch, it had one speed, which was super fast, but it was 200 bucks. And most machines are like thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it was our starting machine and that's what we sewed our first bags on. But um, you again, you have to start somewhere. Right. So we sew, I make this bag for Nikki. It was like bohemian and fringy and like really like kind of like all of like the essence of her style. Yeah. And um, so I make it for her and her mother-in-law bought it for her as a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. And that was the first bag. It was named the Nicole after her. And then Philip being the classy man that he is, he's like, we need to design a classic that's for every woman that's timeless. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. Because oh I'm gosh. like always so funky, but he's mm-hmm. always so timeless. Yeah. And he's, I was like, yeah, that's true. And so I was like, every bag I've ever had the straps break, so it needs to have unbreakable straps. So we set out to design this like classic women's bag, and that's the tote. So our first one was grand. It was a huge mm-hmm. one, and which I personally love. Um, but women were always like, I love this, but I want it a little smaller. So then we made the, um, what we called at that time the classic. Or I'm sorry, we called it the petite. And people were like, no, this isn't petite. This is still big. <laughs> so then that's the classic, and now we have a petite. Um, and the classic and the petite are the number one sellers mm-hmm. to this day, mm-hmm. the Belfield Tote. And I always remind people, like, you have to listen to your customer. Because right. if I was stubborn and I said, you know, like, no, the grand is best, definitely the best bag. Because that was my favorite yeah. bag. And I felt like... That's what I wanted my design, our design, Philip and I's design, to look like. Um, but the customer was saying it's too big. Yeah. So you have to listen to your customer. How did you learn to adapt to the wants and desires of customers? Well, we had to sell stuff. Sure. <laughs> so it's like, I guess you have no choice. Yeah, you have no choice. It's like, if you want to have a business, you have to listen to your customer. Mm-hmm. And that's like number one rule. Number mm-hmm. one rule. Like, for us, at least as a company, is like we love our customers. And so we design things that, hey, we love and like we put our heart and soul into. They're functional, they are gonna last, but they're things that our customer is asking for. Because if you don't have a customer, you don't have a business, you know? Mm-hmm. So if your customer is asking for, you know, everything bagels, and you're like, no, I hate garlic, sorry, yeah. we can't have everything bagels then your customer's not going to be happy, right? right? You have to do, do what your customer's asking yeah. for. So that's what we learned with our bags is it's like sometimes even though 
I prefer large and overwhelming things. Like I love, you know, gaudy and like over the top stuff. Always have. Not most people do. Most mm-hmm. people like like more simple and classic things. So you have to like adapt your mindset to think of what does what do what are most people looking for. Yeah. So when you first sold that first bag, mm-hmm. how long before? How long was it before you decided? Okay, maybe we should actually take this seriously. Oh. And why did you decide to? Well, we were such dreamers that we took it seriously from like the very first mm-hmm. second. Like when we were designing wallets, we were doing these photo shoots. I'd go visit Philip in Virginia, and we'd spend the whole weekend like getting fabric and pine cones and leaves and laying them out and making these different like things to like in like we're like oh let's stitch this one with red stitch and blue stitch and white stitch and just doing these full blown photo shoots like mm-hmm. and it was so funny that's all we would do for the whole weekend was just like hang out and like do creative photo mm-hmm. shoots and it was so fun um so we were taking it really seriously from the beginning and then when we started selling our bags we were like oh this is a thing I immediately I quit my job as a teacher and just decided like we're doing this full time and we hadn't even gotten our first magazine finished yet mm. like we were just selling like seven bags a month and I was wow. like <laughs> and I was like I'm quitting my job to do this because we were just so pumped up about yeah. it so excited like we just had this gut feeling that it was like this could be something wow which is crazy when I think back on that I'm like I must have been a lunatic right. <laughs> so in the beginning what were some of the things that you learned that in business that you were kind of surprised about oh wow okay that could go so many ways so a big thing we always tell people when we're working with people who just started a business Mm -hmm. always ask people who have like be humble enough to ask other people for advice Mm -hmm. don't think you know everything so whenever we're making a big decision we will try to meet with like other people like even if they own a business that's not anything related to fashion just like taking your business plan asking them like hey do you have two hours to meet with me so I can run this by you get their feedback and get like take honest feedback take everything they say and see if you can do that with up to five people like people in different businesses so we have a group of people we just like say like hey can we meet with you to bounce this off of you hey can we meet with you like and um, people are so kind to do that Mm -hmm. um, to give you because they don't want to see you slip and fall and trip and you know they Mm -hmm. don't want people are so amazing like who have uh, every business owner has definitely fallen into holes right Mm -hmm. pitfalls Um, so they don't want to see other people have to go through that same thing so I would say definitely take the time to plan everything out in your steps and take it to someone who's got a lot of experience and say, what do you think about this idea I'm about to do? And they'll help you find the holes in your plan. Mm -hmm. So we do that a lot. But then in that same note, we have gotten feedback from lots of people that said like, yeah, do this, don't do that. Like everyone was telling us at the beginning of our business, like you gotta wholesale these bags, you gotta Mm -hmm. wholesale these bags. They need to be in department stores and boutiques. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's the answer. Because we were trying to figure out how not to travel around the country Mm -hmm. so much because it's exhausting, you know, and how to get our name out there. And social media has been so good to help us get our name out there and like Cleveland Hustles and things like that. But um, so we went to a trade show and spent a ton of money. Trade Mm -hmm. shows are very expensive um, to build out our booth. And then you have to pay the cost to be there. And then we like invested to like put stuff in the press room and everything. But in order to wholesale, we would have to double our pricing. And being made in the USA, the labor costs are so yeah. expensive. That's our biggest cost by far in our company. Um, and so 
we went from like, you know, having like a $300 tote would have to be $600 right. to build in that margin. So if someone like Nordstrom wanted to carry our totes, for example, like we would have to more than double it. So if Nordstrom wanted to carry our tote, we would have to, if they are going to charge 600 for yeah. it, we would have to give it to them for like 250 mm -hmm. which is like, we would make no money. Right. You know, like you'd be, where would you, where would your product be in the whole lot? Where are you, where's your break even and all of those things. So we got this advice from like all these people that said, yeah, you should try to wholesale. So we doubled our pricing and we go to this trade show and, you know, anthropology's there, like all the big box stores, like everybody's there and they're walking by and they'd stop at our booth and say, oh, these are great bags but they're just too high for our price point, mm -hmm. like too expensive for our customer. And so it was super devastating. We left with like, you know, like 10 orders from boutiques, like then placing their order for a um, shipment of bags. But we were like, I don't know, like, and they, in those boutiques, they, the orders were moving really slowly. So it was like about a six month period where our existing customers were really frustrated that our bag prices jumped right. so high. And then those boutiques, like I think the customers in those boutiques were thinking like, these bags are really expensive. But to make it in the USA, we had to, you know, double our pricing in order to be in boutiques. So it took us back to the drawing board to say, okay, we can't be in boutiques or department stores with our margins. So we're going to just have a direct to consumer business model mm -hmm. where we just sell directly to our customer via our own stores yeah. and our website. So that was something we had to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. And I think in business, like you just, Sometimes you do your best to make an educated decision, but sometimes some lessons you just have to learn the hard way. Yeah. So that was really hard. Um, but yeah, that's mm -hmm. like, I would just say ask people for advice, but know that it doesn't always go well, but right. it's definitely helped us more than her. Yeah, because if you never did that, you might have never known. Oh, we would always wonder. We'd always be like, oh, if we could only be in Nordstrom. Right. You know, if we could only be in boutiques. Mm -hmm. And you now know. you're pretty much happy with the idea of not ever having that total well you know like obviously it'd be really cool to mm -hmm. be in department stores right. and things like that that would be amazing but yeah. if our business model is not that then it's not like mm -hmm. just knowing that you know you have to be true to who your business is and like what your mission statement is and your values to know that like okay like if we ever design fair trade products that are made around the world, those could probably be in boutiques and department mm -hmm. stores. So just also waiting for the right timing for different things. And also, I guess a big tip I would have is to say like, just, you know, know that you can't do everything at once. Yeah. Like when people start, it feels like you have this urge to do everything mm -hmm. at once, but you can't because then you'll do nothing well. True. Like focus on your thing that you like want to do and do it well. Like our big goal for last year was to like, redo our website like totally redo our website which was very expensive and took a lot of time we got all new product photography mm -hmm. it was 16 days of product photography mm -hmm. working with a photographer and then my husband is still building it out with our friend will and you know they're constantly working on it and making it better and that was a big investment but then it made our online sales increase by 52 percent since january wow so for us that was like you know it was the big goal of the year is online mm -hmm. You know, and investing in this space, like we're in a new studio. Before we had no air conditioning, we were washing our dishes in the bathroom sink for five years. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, okay, we really want our team to have a space that they feel excited to come work in every day. So now we have a room, we have a couple people who are Muslim, so they were praying every day in like a closet we had there. Wow. Now we have a special prayer room for them. Oh, nice. And we have a pump room because we have some yeah. nursing moms where mm -hmm. they can pump. And so like different things like that, like five years ago, we wouldn't have even known we needed to have those things. And now it's been like a 
a blessing we can have for our employees to have like a nice lunchroom and a garbage disposal and a big fridge. Like we are all sharing an apartment fridge or like yeah. a, a dorm room fridge. Like a little mini fridge. Yeah, like the oh one that was like, you know, like one and a half feet by like, yeah. you know, like it was one of those tiny fridges. So everybody's stuff was stacked. So now like just small things that we knew, like this is the year of investing in a nice space for our mm-hmm. team. Which will only take you forward and yeah and make us all feel happy to be here every day Mm -hmm. you know and you're not hot in the summer and like you know it's so nice Mm -hmm. so like just knowing what your big goal is for each year I think is huge for a company yeah you know yeah just knowing you can't do everything at once Mm -hmm. so you mentioned Cleveland Hustles and Mm. how did that opportunity come about and that was also what catapulted you to open a store right yeah okay honestly tell us about that I really thank God for that because it was something that I remember praying about. I had an eight-month-old. Scout was eight months at that time. We were traveling around the country, going to so many shows, and I just remember being like telling Philip one night, like, I can't do this forever because mm-hmm. then it was the at the point he was eight months, they start crawling, right? And so it was like game over. I would take him in the little carrier, you yeah. know, that people wear. I'd take him to the show and right. I'd sell bags at the show, and he'd be at the studio in the pack and play while we were doing bags, and like, so he would come to work with us every day. And then he, when we were traveling on the weekend, he would just come with us. And then once he started crawling, we couldn't bring him to work anymore. And we couldn't, you know, take him to show. So I never saw my son. Like, right. during the week, he was at daycare. And then during the weekend, my parents were watching him. Mm-hmm. And my parents also let me know. They're like, okay, this is like, we're tired. You can't, yeah. can't do this every weekend. So it was like, we, we had to figure out a second plan. So I remember praying about it. I was like, God, we, I can't do this forever. And so then we get this email from Magical Elves. <laughs> That's literally who the email's from. And it said, Magical Elves want us to be on LeBron James' show. <laughs> and so Philip didn't even open the email. He just thought it was like a, like not necessarily a fake email, but he's like, eh, whatever, we're too busy making bags. And then we're at the Cleveland Flea, we're selling our bags, and this kind of film crew shows up to our booth. And it got like the boom, like yeah. the, you know, the thing that looks like a cat toy. Yeah. <laughs> the microphone. Right. And they have like a camera crew and everything. And they roll up to our booth and they're like, hey, did you get our email? <laughs> and at that time, Philip was just answering all the emails. And I look at Philip and I'm like, did you get an email? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, why didn't you tell me about that email? And I'm like, oh boy. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me about that email? And so I was like, no, sorry. Like, what's, what's this all about? You know, and they're telling us and Philip's like, he, he didn't realize how legit it was, you know? And so they asked us, they're like, well, we'd love for you to be on this show that's coming to Cleveland. It's LeBron's having the show called Cleveland Hustles and mm-hmm. he wants to provide Cleveland neighborhoods and da, da, da. And we're like, whoa, that sounds awesome. And so Philip was still a little skeptical, um, but I was like, Philip, this might like totally be the answer of prayer we were looking for. There's this like old joke I've heard that like, you know, like you pray and like you're in this, like say there's a flood mm-hmm. and you're like, your house is, you're on top of your roof and there's this flood rising all around you and you're like praying for some kind of miracle mm-hmm. to come. You're like, God, help me. I have to get out of this flood. And then like somebody comes by in a canoe. They're like, hey um, man, you need a lift? And they're yeah. like, no, no, it's okay. I'm praying for a miracle. And like, okay, see ya. Right. And then a helicopter comes like, hey down there, do you need help? And they're like, no, no, no. I'm praying for a miracle. <laughs> and then you're like, so you're totally missing miracles right right and this was like our miracle I was like no Philip this is our miracle we need this and we don't want to miss it so anyway so they come and they do an interview at our studio and it was like honestly they asked us to be part of the show and so we auditioned and then they asked us to do the like town hall thing where we pitched like Shark Tank style so we pitch and then they ask us to work with an investor and then you go from like 
20 pitches, down to eight, down to four. And so we're competing to see who's going to open these stores in Gordon Square. And during this, we chose not to work with an investor because mm-hmm. we wanted to, you know, we, we just were nervous that like our visions didn't align, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure we stayed true to our brand. And um, anyway, so part of the thing is if, if you won one of the four spots on the show, that you had to open a retail location. And we were like kicking and screaming about it. We're like, no, no, this is definitely gonna make us go bankrupt. Like if all these other things that happened in the past weren't why we closed Fount, this is totally gonna be Mm -hmm. it because everybody said retail was dead. And so we um, ended up opening the store and we, the the Gordon Square, like gave us a super short lease. We reached out to our friends at Our House Furniture who we had done projects for in the past and they donated all the furniture because we mm. told them how nervous we were right. to open this store. Wow. So they were so amazing. I was like, do you have any like scratch and dents we could borrow? And they're like, we're just going to give you this furniture. And they like amazing. totally just gifted it to us. They were amazing. They're so generous. So, um, so we opened the store. And to this day, it's the best thing we ever did because people want to touch and feel and smell mm-hmm. it when they come in, you right. know? And so it's amazing. Like the Cleveland store is like the little engine that could, and people just come from far and wide to visit that store yeah. to get their bag and like make it such a special experience to come pick it out in person. And we try to make it so personalized when they come in to like give them a really like hospitable experience where they feel like really taken care of. So we love, love, love our store. And mm-hmm. it's something we would have never done. Right. We would have never known that there would have been enough people that wanted to buy bags to really fund a store because it's really expensive to run a store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's really turned out to be amazing. And what was the point where you realized that it was something that was going to be sustainable? Like a month in. We were like, whoa. This There's is so many customers yeah. coming in. It was really good. And then every month it got better and better and better. And we're like, well, this is amazing. Like, it was really like exciting to see how pumped Cleveland was to support mm-hmm. us and people we'd have people like who watched Cleveland Hustles that were driving from Michigan to come get a bag wow. we have people for like coming up from Kentucky like they would like for their birthday they wanted their husband to like bring them up to Cleveland for the weekend to go to dinner and get a bag that's so like cool. that was their birthday that's bringing more people to the our city yes and that was like and a lot of them were people who loved Cleveland because they grew up here and moved to other mm. cities yeah so when they watched Cleveland Hustles they were just really rooting for our city and um so they feel like when they buy a bag, they get a piece of Cleveland and like a piece of something that's made to last, you know? Yeah. So it has been so cool. Mm-hmm. And something we would not have like at the be- beginning been like, oh, our five-year plan is to have a store. You know, right. we would have never thought that, but it became part of our story. So that's another thing I tell people, like, just be open to what comes your way mm-hmm. and know that it might be different than what you had planned, but don't like turn things down just because it's different than yeah. how we thought it would go. Thank goodness for LeBron. Right? <laughs> LBJ. Man. I'm, honestly, what a Cleveland treasure. Mm-hmm. It was so cool when he came back. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, yay! Mm-hmm. Our hometown hero's back. Yeah. I know. So that was a, like an amazing experience that we just feel like so lucky and blessed to have been part of because like it felt so serendipitous like that this our business was at that size during that season and that LeBron had this idea it was just like this really crazy like um what do they call it like serendipitous moment that it just felt meant to be all the elements of the universe coming together oh totally perfect way yes and I was like literally like God heard that prayer and was like okay here's Here's this thing. Because I know you can't travel with a baby for the rest of your life. Right. You know? Yeah. So you ended up 
just because the Cleveland store was so successful, you thought, okay, let's open one in Columbus. But yeah. I remember you talking about this before and that it was a bit of a challenge. So you, can you yeah. tell us, the listeners who don't, who haven't heard that story? Yeah, what that I would love like? to. Because that's honestly, that's still something that's challenging for us, mm-hmm. to be totally honest. It's, um, it's getting better month by month. But we just figured, so like as I said, we we're doing all these pops in Cleveland and around the country, but literally someone would call me from Shaker Heights and be like, can you pop up at this party I'm having? And I'm like, yeah. And I just sell bags in their driveway. <laughs> like you could call me and be like, pop up here. And I'm like, yes, please, let me sell my bags anywhere we can. Like, let, like we were so pumped to just get them out into the world and eager to just sell a bag to anyone who would buy a bag. We were so invested. And then we didn't realize that when we opened the store in Columbus, a lot of like I have so many friends in Columbus from college and like you know there's so many Cleveland slash Columbus connections that people are like okay if you're thriving this much in Cleveland imagine there's so many young professionals in Columbus like could you imagine how well the mm-hmm. store would do there so we're like amazing let's do it so we just like like I said before I'm a jumper I'm like somebody gives me an idea and I'm like sounds good let's jump into it and I just jumped right in within like a week we like went down, looked at spaces, found this beautiful space, signed lease, and we were rolling, right? And it um, has turned out to be really challenging because not a lot of people in Columbus know who we are yet. Um, we didn't do the hard work of popping up all over the mm-hmm. city in Columbus, you know, for years. And we didn't do enough research on the neighborhood we chose because the neighborhood we're in is beautiful. It's called the Short North. Mm-hmm. It's in the city, it's gorgeous. Um, and it's like very hip and young. So many restaurants and bars and some boutiques, but it's very much a going out neighborhood. You know, people are going out to dinner. Right. And so I spend some time down there researching and like watching the patterns of the customers and they like love to pop in, but they're always on their way to dinner or they're always like coming from dinner and like going to the bar or going, you know, or they're with a big group. Maybe they're out with three or four couples and they don't want to hold the group up, you know, to shop. Um, and the parking is challenging and all these different things that I didn't think about before that like in Cleveland we're kind of like you know there's a lot of parking opportunities on the side streets and things that there aren't in the short north so you really have to consider like is your customer going to be able to park you know are they going to like be is this a place that they're going to think to shop or is it going to feel stressful for them to shop here because they're nervous about parking Mm -hmm. you know right so um, we're working through some of those challenges and implementing things like curbside pickup mm-hmm. and just like making the customer experience. They're really special yeah. and inviting like parties to our VIPs down there to invite like their friends and have a night out um, and doing some of these really special like hospitable experiences to bring people into the short north um, to know that we're there because a lot right. of people like I just went down to a retail conference in Columbus. It was amazing. And I got to meet some of these people. And they're like, oh, Phil, yeah, we've heard of you. Your bags are great. You know, thanks so much for being here. And they're like, are you going to open in Columbus? And I'm like, oh, we have a store in the short north that's been there two years. But, like, people just don't know right. it's there. Wow. So we have to figure out how to let people know we're there. Mm-hmm. It's really tricky. Have you thought, like, do you collaborate with other businesses down yeah, there? Yeah, we do. We do. And we're trying to do that more and collaborate with local bloggers. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've done a lot of, like, um, networking with um, other business owners, mm-hmm. but it's so hard when you don't personally live yeah. here. And then with the kids, it's hard to get there often. Right. Um, so it's just been challenging and something that we're always working on. And just, um, I think it's good for people to know that like every business has challenges, mm-hmm. right? You know that like 
sometimes things that you plan go better than you expected and that's awesome but sometimes you plan things out no matter how much you plan them you have to be prepared to know that like it might not go as you expect so then you have to like be prepared to put more energy in there and put all the energy and love into it that you put into your other things and then also be humble enough to say like when something isn't working to say like okay i'm gonna reroute yeah like, and that's okay mm-hmm. like that is okay that doesn't mean it's a failure we try really hard not to call things failures right. just to say like it's a reroute right you know mm-hmm. because we all have them every single mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. yeah it's just what do you do when you yeah, have them? Yeah, totally. How do you handle that situation? Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about what the process or the traje- trajectory of the process of making the bags has changed from when you first started to now. Yeah. Um, the trajectory of the process of making the bags. Wait, can you explain that a little like, bit? Like, so you, you obviously were in your apartment making yeah. them, just the two of you. Um, and now you have a huge team. Well, not a huge team, but a a good yeah. team of people working on them and like what's the I guess what's the process of creating a bag from start to finish and how has that changed from when you first started wow that's yeah so it's pretty much the same mm-hmm. we prototype so we come up with a design we have an idea and a lot of our ideas are dry, driven from what the customers are asking for so people are asking for more small crossbodies. that's what we want so we're always trying to like brainstorm like what well asking the customer like and sending out polls like okay you want a small crossbody. Do you want it to have pockets? Do you want it to be, how big do you want it? Like, what do you want to keep inside of it? So we want to make sure we don't design something that they didn't ask for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and asking for more details before we spend all this money and time investing and like working through something because the designing process takes months and months and months. So we sketch it out and then come up with the idea and then Courtney has now become our head designer. Mm-hmm. She's a really good friend, Courtney McCrone. She's amazing. And so she'll then, we'll meet and we'll talk the design out and she'll go and try to like prototype it and like come up with a sample. And usually we'll start with the body and then we'll like take different parts on and see how we like it and then play with buckles and play with things and see how we want it to function. And that process like takes months because yeah. we're like working through it. And then when we finally land on something that's close to what we want it to look like, we'll have someone on the team wear it. Maybe we'll make a couple of them and then have someone on the team wear them for a few months, see how it ages, and then we're like, ooh, this part was tricky to use. The zipper goes down in too far, or you know, this part wasn't as strong as we thought. It got stretched out here, or blah, 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 blah. And then we go back to the drawing board, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, till we end up with a final design. Mm-hmm. And we make it, and then we do a photo shoot, and then we launch it. So it's really a long process. Yeah. It's yeah. good to know. Yeah, it really, it's like, because people are like, wait, when are you coming out with another, like, a men's briefcase? And it's like, it's a lot more than just, like, you know, doing a briefcase and then making them. And then also a new challenge we have is, like, which is a blessing. Make, let me make sure I, like, state that first. There's such a demand on the bags now that we've never seen before. Like, mm-hmm. at the beginning, we were begging people to bag, buy bags. I'm like, right. begging. I'm like, please, just trust this is a good bag. I promise you, yeah. you know, like, like, begging people. Yes. And now we have the opposite problem where we're selling so many bags that we can't make enough. Um, and so we're constantly sold out of things. And we've been hiring, I think we're up to 56 team members now, that we can't... Um, we can't keep up mm-hmm. and so people are asking for new styles and we have new styles that we've designed and prototyped and are ready to go but we don't have enough time to make them right so we're trying to figure out what is our move with that you know and like does that mean does that look like us you know there's so many other usa made leather workers that are really talented leather workers here 
you know, and around the world that are ethically making their products, whether it's fair trade or made in the USA or, you know, whatever that they don't, they might have the opposite problem. They have the skills and they have the people, but mm-hmm. they're short on orders. Mm-hmm. So they need the orders. Like, should we partner with them to make some of the new designs that we have, you know, to bless their business and to help them thrive? Mm-hmm. You know, because we get these people reaching out saying like, hey, like we make bags. Um, would you ever want to work with us? And we're like, I mean, maybe that's an option to help yeah. keep the customers happy and to help bless these businesses True. that mm-hmm. need more orders, mm-hmm. you know? So we're like always considering these things and um, thinking about, you know, a how to, number one, we, and this is something my friend Stephanie Sheldon from The mm-hmm. Flea, she says this with her team and just is so powerful and it resonated with me. Like she says first, like it has to check three boxes. It has to bless our team. Like it has to be good for. She always says it has to be good for Team Flea, like her mm-hmm. her her immediate like team that she works with. It has to be good for the customer, and then it has to be good for vendors, mm-hmm. like the people that are coming to the vent to be like work yeah. at the Flea or sell their goods at the Flea. So for us, we have kind of applied that here at Fount too. Like, is it good for our team? Like everyone on our immediate Fount team, is it good for the customer? And is it good for the environment? Because we're really trying to be sustainable. So it has to check all those boxes. And if it's not checking all those boxes, then we don't make that decision. And like our our cornerstone of our company is quality. What the word found means is quality. Mm-hmm. And so we are saying like, is it quality in our work environment, quality in the product that we're making, and quality for the environment, mm-hmm. you know, quality customer experience. Yeah. So that's something we're always trying to think of because every business is constantly evolving, right? So that's something we're always considering. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers yeah. your question, totally. but yeah, we're like always considering these things because I have so many designs that we haven't launched and mm-hmm. we want to bring to our customers, but we're wanting to make sure we do that in a way that's authentic to our brand because we, in the past, like last year, there was such a demand for the bags at Christmas time that we all felt super overloaded here. Yeah. And people were working overtime hours and exhausted by the time Christmas came. And we were just like, okay, this we just can't do this every year. We have to figure out a better way to make sure that our team is happy and the customers are happy, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you're always just trying to make sure that you um, are considering all people that decisions affect. Oh, totally. Yeah. That makes sense. So you mentioned that what the word found means. Yeah. How did you come across that and how did you decide to make that the name of your business? Yeah, that word, so it's an old hymnal and it says, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm -hmm. And there's this artist, have you heard of Sophion Stevens? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love him. It's like one of our favorite artists. Um, So Philip and I had his uh, Christmas album. And there's this, it's called Hark, um, but he has this song, Come Thou Found. And we're listening to it, we're like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And we looked up what the definition was, and we were like, what? Because Found, initially, we named it Sidecar Club, <laughs> um, which was like kind of young and funky, and yeah. we wanted everything, like, that was my idea. It was like kind of funkier, and Philip, again, I said, so classy. Um, he was like, well, I don't know if it sticks. And I was like, yeah, right. it, doesn't, it didn't feel perfect. Yeah, it didn't feel right. But it was like, okay, so actually our first LLC was under Sidecar Club because we couldn't find that perfect word. And then when we heard found in that song, we're like, oh, that's an amazing word. We looked it up. It meant an abundant source of desirable quality. We're like, whoa, that's exactly what we want our brand to be is Mm -hmm. quality. And then we like Google searched it to see if anyone owned the rights to it. No one did. So we locked it down. Um, But we were so poor (laughs) at the beginning. We like had no money. 
that we couldn't afford a trademark on it because mm-hmm. trademarks are so expensive. Yeah. And so we were just kind of like praying that no one else would trademark it. Yes. But we had to start a business and we loved the name and so we started rolling with it. And one year in my high school that I went to this high school and they had written an article about our company. Mm-hmm. And this guy who his son went to my high school, he read it and like he felt like he would, should reach out to us and he said, hey, I don't know if you guys, it seems like you're a small business. I'm not sure if you can afford legal advice and help, but I would love to help you with trademarking if you ever need mm. that. And we're like, what? So he did it for free for wow. us. Yeah, it was That's so amazing. nice. We paid like the court fees and, or like whatever. It was very, very small payment compared to what it could have been. Yeah. He did it all for free for us. So we made a bag for his wife. Oh, and nice. it was such a gift to us because that was expensive. Like all these things that are really expensive when you're first starting are scary. But you kind of just have to do what you can afford and just kind of like trust and have faith that you'll do the other things when you can. Right. Because again, you can't do it all at once. Yeah. Like our first boxes, we got a rubber stamp and an ink pad and we're stamping fat onto a cardboard box and it's like dripping down the sides, but that was the best we could do. Mm-hmm. You know, and we always wanted to have our name on our bags, but we couldn't afford a gold foiler. And you know, there's all these different machines we wanted to buy, but we couldn't afford them. And then you just do it when you can. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to start somewhere. It's like yeah. the message I always yes. tell people: start somewhere, and then when do do the best with what you've got, and then you'll evolve and you'll get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so yeah. good to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's very like it, everybody started as grassroots, right? right. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but Most people. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Aww, is well, there? Thank you. Yeah. For being here. Like your questions were awesome. Thank you. So is there anything that you're really excited about that you can share? Oh, so many things. Like we just, we're excited. We eventually want to like evolve out into a lifestyle brand, like meaning Mm -hmm. like having, you know, we would love, so I'm really inspired by companies like Everlane. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like I can now buy ethically made underwear because of Everlane. (laughs) So I'm pumped about that. And like ethically made jeans and like just be a place that people can trust. Like, oh, I got an amazing bag there that lasted me and I trust their process and the way they treat their employees and the way they treat the environment. And like, I trust them as a brand. So we want to be a place that, you know, you can get an ethically made coat or jewelry Mm. or shoes or jeans and mm-hmm. shirts and all the things, like eventually, yeah. right? And like I said, you can't do everything all at once. Right. So we're trying to decide what our next thing is. Might be belts and shoes, and mm-hmm. we're thinking we might do a Kickstarter um, cool. because it's really expensive to invest in a shoe line. Yeah. We don't have all the equipment, so that is something we'll have to do out of house. Um, but I have like all the sketches of our initial shoe designs. Ooh. So we're working on like partnering with a factory to, um, it's a B Corp factory, which B Corp means that it's 100% certified as ethical, um, um, to get our first prototypes made and then we'll wear them around for six months and make mm-hmm. sure they age the way we want them to. And then, you know, do the photo shoots. And then we're probably going to launch a Kickstarter to, you know, get an accurate count of like, because shoes range in so many sizes and so we'll probably have three styles is the goal. Um, and then people can say like, yeah, I want this one in an eight and a half in, a, in black, or I want this one in a six in a brown. So that we get like our first order um, will be very accurate to like what our mm-hmm. customers are asking for um, so that we don't over order on something and under order on something yeah. else. And then that will give us a gauge for how to move forward with shoes. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited That's about super that. That's super exciting. And I think people 
are going to definitely go for that. I hope. But I hope so. It's something that people have been asking for for mm-hmm. years. It's like, so when are you going to do shoes? Um, but I personally don't know how to make shoes. So it's, um, it's, it's like exciting right. and humbling, like I said, like to try new things. Yeah. It feels scary mm-hmm. and it feels like the learning curve is huge for when you first start designing those things. Um, but then you're like, okay, once you start getting your groove, it feels really exciting, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely. So, yeah, so that's probably, yeah, probably happening. Cool. No, no commitment. <laughs> it's something we're talking about a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Just thanks for, <laughs> thanks for supporting podcasts and yeah. listening to Muse Room because it's like so cool that I think things like, like what you're doing mm-hmm. to get our story out right. to people mm-hmm. is so cool. And that's something that didn't exist 10 years ago, right. you know? And that's just like, a blessing to us as makers and as businesses or as the different things that you're supporting mm-hmm. it's like so exciting for us to have a platform to tell people like hey this is what we're doing and why we're doing it mm-hmm. you know that's cool good so thanks for doing yeah. it <laughs> well, i'm glad that i can be that for you yeah it's, cool. it's exciting nice so. well thank you so much thank you okay bye everybody <laughs>